All right, um, we're going to continue now our study in responding to the cults and world religions. We broadened it. Most of these have been cults that we've been talking about, um, but world, major world religions and cults. And it's been a good study. This is session seven of eight. Next week will be our final one, and then we'll take a break from the adult class probably until February or March. Um, but it has uh, just been very enlightening, good interaction, and and so we appreciate uh, uh, y'all coming back. And next week is what? N-A-R. Spell it out. New Apostolic Revelation. And you might say, what is the New Apostolic Revelation? <laughs> Revel- it's not Apostolic, it's not a Reformation, but it is new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anything that's new, uh, it's nothing new under the sun. So next week should be really good. Uh, Let me pray and we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have opened our eyes. We thank you that you opened Nicodemus's eyes in due time, even as we saw just today in John 3. And um, Lord, we thank you that you have given us eyes to see and to believe the, the pure and true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we would ask that you would uh, give us um, the ability to be able to understand some of these things, and and really the purpose of this class is how can we reach those that we know that are in the Seventh-day Adventist church and movement, and how can we respond to them in a biblical way? So Lord, help us in Jesus' name, amen. So just, I'm going to give an introduction, a history what might some of the beliefs be um, of Seventh-day Adventism? What is wrong with it? Adventism is the belief that Christ's personal second coming is imminent and will inaugurate his millennial kingdom at the end of the age. I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me if it's true or false. Seventh-day Adventists are like other Christians, except for they worship on Saturday. Why? <laughs> Daniel? Okay. Works-based salvation, yeah. There's a lot to it. There's a lot more than that. But yeah, that's false. But the common belief in Christendom is, oh, they're a Seventh-day Adventist. I mean, my dentist and most of the office staff is Seventh-day Adventist. Well, I mean, they're nice, kind of upright kind of people, you know. Um, So that is false. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a controversial organization with the founding of its prophetess, Ellen G. White. They teach that the proper day of worship is Saturday. Um, How many of you know somebody in this movement? Really? I would think that all the hands would have went up. Like at some point that you would have known somebody that, you know, anyway... So as a summary, they believe Jesus is Michael the Archangel and that ultimately Satan bore the sins of those that are saved. When a person dies, they, don't, they cease to exist. Um, hell is not eternal. Uh, they emphasize dietary laws, what many consider to be legalism, especially since they teach that you can lose your salvation. Ironically, this movement is one of the fastest growing organizations uh, in the world. 
primarily um, from membership increases over developing nations. So they're more popular outside of the U.S. than they are inside of the U.S., and uh, especially in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And they claim that there is a new, um, a new member um, every 30.33 seconds. So every 30 seconds, there's a new member that is baptized into their church. And that wouldn't surprise me. I did some study on this some years back, and it was 18 million worldwide. And there's, I found 28 million, 25 million, but it's grown a lot. And you look at the little graph, you can go to Wikipedia and look at that. It just, it's like that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's insane. There's one classic work by Anthony Hokima that uh, the four major cults, and he deals with the Christian science, which we did not do in this study, the Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism, which we did do in Seventh-day Adventism. And it's amazing that all four of these groups began where? In America, right? Here at home. And I think most up in the Northeast as well of the U.S. And all of them began... Uh, not only in the 19th century in the wake of religious fervor, uh, various um, uh, revivals that were taking place, but also the perfectionist teaching of Charles Finney and his anxious bench, where if you feel a little itch, come up here and all of that. But all of these cults started within about 30 to 40 years. Most of them came by visions and new revelations and these kinds of things, which is why we believe that God has spoken in these last days through his son. We have a completed canon. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to, you know, I had a weird dream last night. I haven't even told my wife about it, but I'm not going to start a, a, a movement based on that dream, right? Because we have the completed revelation right here. So the history... Um, modern Seventh-day Adventism traces its roots to the early 1800s to Mr. William Miller. William Miller was a totally self-trained Baptist lay preacher converted out of the heresy of deism without any form of uh, formal theological grounding. He was obsessed with the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he believed that he had figured out the exact window that Jesus Christ was coming back. He said, and I quote, my principles are brief, are that Jesus Christ will come again to this earth and cleanse and purify and take possession of the same with all of the saints sometime between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844. So he gave a nice one-year window. As a result, many thousands, and these, their followers, his followers, became known as the Millerites, you might have heard that term, accepted his idea that Jesus would return sometime in the span of that year. Now, he, <laughs> I'm not going to think too hard about this, but he arrived at this date based on a study, and Daniel 8.14, you remember the um, 2300 mornings and evenings, and so he took that and, uh, to, to when the holy place would be restored, and he applied that to 457 B.C., which was the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. And then he adds Daniel 9, 24, and 25. Um, when his predictions failed, he adjusted the date to March 21st, 1844, and then later to October 22nd, 1844. Now, what other groups have picked dates and then, oh, 
I changed my mind. I'm changing the date. What other groups? This, okay. <laughs> the late great planet Earth, 1998. Oh, if you're a dispensationalist, we love you. We're glad you're here. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, okay, that, that's one. But what else? We just learned. Harold Camping was one I was hoping that, that somebody might remember. How many people know the name Harold Camping? Okay, he founded Family Radio that you might can, you can tune into 9, 10 a.m. in San Diego. And I think they have an FM station as well. But Harold Camping is actually a, a Presbyterian, was a Presbyterian minister. He's dead now. And basically came to the, well, he started Family Radio. He was in the Bay Area. Um, and he wrote this book called 1994. Now, I knew one person that was really a big follower was convinced Jesus is coming back in 1994. I don't even think he gave an exact month or and day, but obviously, he <laughs> was proven wrong. Well, meanwhile, he still got a prominent audience on family radio, and then later, and I don't remember exactly what year, let's... But later in the early 2000s, he says the church is apostate. Everybody should leave the church. And I think the new date was May something, 2011. Is that right? May, May 20th. I thought it was 21st. But there was billboards right near our church. We're driving to church and seeing these billboards, right? And people sold their houses, got in RVs, and went all around the country because they were following this man. And very persuasive in his arguments. You know, the second, you know, the first primary meaning of a text, and it's true. Some texts have double meanings, right? The virgin birth, for example, in Isaiah seven. There's a double fulfillment immediately in Isaiah's day, but also Christ. But then he would go to the third and the fourth meaning of this text, and he came to all this craziness, right? Well, when that didn't happen, then he changed it to October, I think, or September, something like that, the same year, and that didn't happen. But also, we just studied a couple weeks ago the Jehovah's Witnesses, remember? How they set dates, then they set another one, three or four did not happen, and then they said, we're not going to set any more dates, and then they set another date. <laughs> so um, so these, these movements, you can see they are moving. So on what's famously called the Great Disappointment was... Remember, Miller said March 1843 to 44. Then he changes it to October 22nd, 44. When that didn't happen, the great disappointment of another man is quoted here. or It's claimed to have seen a vision in, within the movement. And he said he saw Jesus standing at the altar of heaven and, con, and concluded that Miller was right. Low battery. Hang on, iPad. Uh, that, that Miller was right about the time, but wrong about the place. Now, okay? So, in other words, Jesus' return was not to earth, but into the heavenly sanctuary. And those of you that have been here for our expositions in Hebrews, probably a year, year and a half ago, Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Now the main point is what has been said is this, that we have such a high priest who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not men. And so he claimed that. When then Ellen White comes along, um, claimed that a supernatural being in the form of a young man guided her through all of her visions. 
uh, Adventists today refer to this as the spirit of the prophecy. It's one of their fundamental beliefs. Ellen White refers to her spirit as an accompanying angel. Now, when we think something is an angel that's there for us, should we examine the scriptures and consider, like what Paul says, and no wonder even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. She said that belief, um, and, and oh, th- that the acceptance of the Seventh Day Sabbath was the mark of a true church. Isn't that great? All these movements have the mark of a true church. You'll knock on so many doors, you'll do whatever. Well, this worshiping on Saturday, right, is the mark of a true church. What do they think of people that worship on, can you bring me my water and the little thing? <clears throat> what do they think of people that worship on Sunday? They're <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I was thinking the other way. No, you mean they're really early, but you know. Thank you, honey. Um, yes, but it's more than that. What do they think of them? Not only not true Christians, Ruth. They have the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. <laughs> that was a new one for me. I just learned that. Um, that's that's what they think of us. Now, Walt, Walt, Walter Martin. Um, what's the name of the book? Kingdom of the Cults. I couldn't remember the kingdom. So in his great book, um, written 30, 40 years ago, probably in the 70s most likely, um, had called them out as a, a, a you know um, false religion and all that. Well, he died in the 1980s, but just before he died, those same leaders that he met with and concluded that they were a cult began to say, we're really not a cult. Can we meet again? We want to clarify some things. And so there's some that think that Walter Martin maybe changed his mind towards the end of his life, but the problem is that it never concluded. It's... um, he died before there could be a final opinion. So Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed. I'll say the Bible. They have their own translation. I'll come back to that. This is their beliefs. But also certain fundamental beliefs to the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. And these beliefs are set forth and they constitute the church's understanding and teaching of um, their church. So you can go right to the website, like I did. You see the 28 fundamental beliefs. There's a couple paragraphs for each one. Like most confessions of faith, it could be reduced to categories such as God, man, salvation, the church, daily Christian life, and last day events, which they call the restoration. And there's a lot on the last day type of stuff that they have. Uh, I'll give you one example of this. Number 18, the scriptures testify that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. Is that true? It it depends on how you, I mean, the scriptures do say that, but then what does prophecy mean? It's not new revelation. It's, um, It's not thus says the Lord, but the Lord has said, right? But listen to how they answer this. This gift an identifying mark of the remnant of the church, notice if you're really in the circle, the remnant of the church, we believe was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. Her writings speak prophetic authority and provide comfort and guidance and instruction and correction to the church. 
So they're elevating this Ellen White. Now, what are some of the heretical beliefs? Like all the cults, they believe that their church is the true church, right? They they exclude all others. Their sect is the true church. What do they think about diet? Yes. What did you say? Or shellfish. Or lobster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so since the 1860s, so this evolved and came about a couple decades after, uh, wholeness and wealth has been an emphasis. And Adventists are known, a lot of them are vegetarians. And the, the health message... And they advocate vegetarianism, which I would submit to you is not a healthy diet. No offense, but um, that's. I'd look to see if one of. Them. <laughs> they're known for um, longevity. That's why they're. Like, yes. That's what like, confirms their belief that they are eating these overly processed foods. Like, they really Well, the, the bottom line is they don't accept. I mean, you've got to rip out page after page of the New Testament when Jesus has declared all things clean. Even Paul says that, right? And so basically they hold, like you said, the kosher laws and per, uh, the consumption of kosher foods described in Leviticus 11. So meaning abstinence from pork, rabbit, shellfish, and other animals described as unclean in that passage. Um, Phil Johnson, quite a while back, I heard him remark that this group is close to the Galatian heresy. Remember the book of Galatians. The Sabbath is to Adventus what circumcision was to the Galatian heresy. Remember the big argument about circumcision there. All right, so the prophetess Ellen White claimed to have had 2,000 visions. Okay? She wrote 5,000 articles and 40 books. So, so here's just, I'm going to run through these. They believe God the Father has a body. They deny that man has an eternal spirit. They use terms, and it's in their fundamentals, of that we have the breath of life while we're living. But when we die, there's no breath, no more. And so, in other words, when you die, you die like an animal, like the cat or dog that you buried that died, right? It just ceased to exist. Well, not completely ceased to exist. I'll qualify that in a moment. But when Jesus returns, these bodies that are in the ground that have no life, no spirit, come, there's new breath that's breathed into them. And so then they come back alive. Sounds uh, kind of like a fairy tale. The the thousand-year millennial kingdom for them is that the saints are in heaven, the earth is desolate, and Satan and his angels occupy the earth. Just bizarre. Jesus is Michael the archangel. Um, They have a faulty view of the atonement that sins were placed on Satan. Um, You see, when you start just giving in divisions and all of this stuff, it just gets weird and it snowballs, doesn't it? Um, Then they actually, going back to 1844, October 22nd, Jesus entered the second and last phase of his atoning work. So when he said on the cross, it is finished, 
Oh, no, it wasn't. Because in 1844, he entered the second phase of his atoning work. And Edison, one of the guys I quoted earlier, said that it's marked a heavenly, that it's a heavenly rather than earthly event. I already alluded to that. But on that day, when he moved from the Holy of Holies to the heavenly sanctuary to begin a new phase of ministry of redemption, this ministry was ultimately defined in the Adventist doctrine to investigate the judgment. Christ entered to the sanctuary to review all the deeds of professing Christians to determine whose names should be included in the book of life. Bizarre, right? What about <laughs> before the foundations of the world, he predestined those who would be predestined unto eternal life. He's not reviewing the deeds of people in 1844. Another man comments on this. Um, not too long of a quote. From his ascension until 1844, Jesus had been applying forgiveness he purchased on the cross in the first compartment of the sanctuary, but in 1844 he entered the second compartment and began to investigate the lives of those who received forgiveness to see if they were worthy of eternal life. Gets to what Ruth had said. Well, let's examine the works, right? Are they worthy of eternal life? Only those who passed this judgment could be assured of being translated at his second coming. Now, it's this very doctrine that gave rise to what is later known as the sinless perfection movement. Um, A perfect commandment, keeping in order to find acceptance in the judgment. Following the investigative judgment, Christ would come out of the heavenly sanctuary, return to earth, bringing to every man his reward and ushering in the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, remember what I said, The Bible, their Bible? It's called, <laughs> of all things, the Clear Word Bible. That just sounds like it's got to be clear, right? I've got, well, they're in your notes, actually, in that little graph. So look at what they do with Matthew 10, 28. Okay? The Bible states, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay? What do they have? Do not fear that you might be killed. They might kill your body, but they can't take away your eternal life. God is the only one who has power over eternal life and death. Now notice what they did there. What what did they do there? What's, What's different? There's a couple things, at least. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No mention of the soul, right? Who said, oh yeah, there, okay. Right, so uh, this, this distinction here is, it's, it's just, it's, it's watering it down. There's no mention of an eternal cell, there's, or, um, soul, and then no mention of hell, although they do say power over eternal life and death. Um, and then what's the next example here? Yeah, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And then there's, I have no choice but to end your lives because in my kingdom, everyone cares about everyone else. <laughs> I, it's just, this verse is so severely altered that it bears very little resemblance to the original. So what's, what's their church structure? Joshua, could you shut that door, please? There's like an insane glare. 
Thank you. Um, what's your church structure look like? Does anybody know? Well, there's a Seventh-day Adventist church that's near our old building over by the mosque that um, we've tried to, it's a beautiful building, <clears throat> we've tried to go in there to see if they might rent to us, and about every two or three years I'll go and meet with a pastor, and it's really the board that runs the show. The pastor's just kind of called and appointed and that kind of thing, and um, like the pastor really doesn't have any authority, and um, Anyway, by the way, that sits empty on Sunday mornings, and it seats 250. It's kind of got like a half circle with seats going up. It's beautiful. Pray, maybe the Lord will give us that building someday, or at least let us rent it. But each church uh, elects its own officers, elders, deacons, and they have clerks. And the minister of a local church is appointed by a local conference. And the local conference consists of local churches in a designated area. And officers of this local conference are elected every three years. So there's term limits, they're kind of elected, there's you know, these kind of larger structures that appoint where these pastors are moved around. Back to the reason why I brought that up, it's about every three years when I go, it's a new pastor. So they move these guys around like checkers, you know. All right, <clears throat> how do we respond to people in this organization? I mean, I just shared a lot, right? There's a lot you could focus on. You know, you could get, you know, talk about the second coming of Christ, talk about the heavenly sanctuary, talk about how Christ is going through the book of life. What, what, what might be the best way to um, engage with them? Is there several references? And, and what book? Okay, so you're talking about our New Testament. There's some references that talk about on the first day of the week, right? I think that's excellent. And that's, uh, that's a really good place to start. Why? Because there's at least four references in the New Testament and several other that are alluded to. Um, and um, Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. That's when the shift to meeting on the first day of the week happened after he rose from the dead. Um, in John 20, remember doubting Thomas? Jesus doesn't just pick a random Tuesday afternoon to show up in the room where the disciples were meeting, but it was on the first day of the week, and Thomas wasn't there. And the disciples are telling Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He was right here. He said, I will not believe unless I can touch the imprint of his hands and put my hand aside. What happens? The very next first day of the week, Thomas is there and Jesus comes again. Believers broke bread on the first day of the week. Um, Paul preaching, we see in Acts, is on the first day of the week. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, the collections of the saints were collected on the first day of the week. And finally, um, in Revelation chapter 1, when John is on the island of Patmos and he's in the spirit, it says in the, um, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. It's actually using the term Lord's day there as well, which by that time in AD 95, the first day of the week became known as the Lord's Day. It's the day, it's the Christian Sabbath, as it were. 
So certainly the, the day of worship and them claiming that, that this is the mark of a true church, but there's so many New Testament examples that you, you'd have to explain away. And by the way, I couldn't see anywhere where they're trying to explain that away, <laughs> like on their 28 fundamentals that they have. But what's another aspect, uh, another approach? Those of us that are, well, yeah? Right. Yeah, and all those those texts, right, that about that, that's not by works, that you're saved, we're saved by grace through faith. You know, trust alone, Susan. Um, I think going back to the word, what the word says about Jesus, like, it just seems to be like the standard that we have to follow. Thank you. That's what uh, it's the biggie. I mean, um, those are all good, but I mean, that's the biggie. They don't understand the new covenant, the newness of the new covenant. They're clinging to dietary laws. They're clinging to the the Old Testament day of worship. They need to understand that there is a new covenant that Christ has brought. Uh, no, stop. What else? Okay, go ahead. Right. The fallacy is that they're saying that he doesn't have authority because he's just an angel. But he's not just an angel. Right. He is God. And so if you take away that um, that authority, why would they believe Yeah, so um, I'm trying to repeat for the recording, but the uh, uh, what Mia was saying there is that they need to understand who Christ is because they would they would rebut that oh he was just an angel type of thing, but <clears throat> they need to understand really what they don't understand the person of Christ who he is and who he claimed to be, but also the work of Christ the very crux and centrality of the gospel person who he is and the work we saw it just today in our text. Chapter 8 of our Confession of Faith, Christ the Mediator. Ten chapters, or ten sections, articles, whatever you say in there. Um, and it's each one just goes back and forth, person and work. I mean, it's like it, it summarizes beautifully everything the Bible has to say about the person and work of Christ. Anything else? Daniel? So, Ruth? Can you repeat that? So, Revelation 7. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, because it's the voice of the archangel. So, that's uh, Thessalonians 4.13, to be exact. Thank you. Um, in the back, M. I'm not sure. I would have to. I'm on 5%. (laughs) 
That's a good thing I'm nearly done. Um, I'm not sure about that. But I think that's, a, that's, that's very helpful, and I didn't know that, that because they say the archangel's returning, that's the whole beginning of this movement, the Millerite movement, was being infatuated with the second coming of Christ. And if he's coming with the voice of the archangel, he must be related to that. Charles. You know, I didn't get that deep into it, and I don't even know. I should have at least seen when they published it and how many times they revised it, because, and let's face it, they changed their mind, right? <laughs> so that's, that's your homework, Charles. Okay, Aaron. <laughs> so I don't know if you know the answer to this, but they seem so obsessed with strict adherence to the Old Testament law. Do they reckon the day by sundown to sundown? <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> right. Right. Oh. On Friday nights. Okay, then they do. There you go. That's the answer to that. Good. Isaac. <laughs> what flavor is it? <laughs> Yeah, I may have, that's a good point. I may have skipped over it, but that's why the Adventists have a, um, a huge emphasis on what they call Christian education. Like, they want all their kids indoctrinated into this, so it is, it is a pretty tight-knit circle. I'm not sure, you know, if... That's a good point. I would imagine that there's some of that, probably not like leaving Islam or something, but there's something like that, I would think, to some degree. Maybe somebody can speak to that. Rolla? Oh, really? Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, let's um let's see here. Yeah, uh, they openly deny the biblical doctrine of predestination. They deny the doctrine of immortality of the soul in contradiction to Luke 16, Matthew 25. They deny eternal hellfire in contradiction to a plethora of texts. Um what famous folks that you know of that are um, actually Seventh Day Adventists? <laughs> Who? Oh, Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. So the director, you said? No. The main actor. The main dude. Now, in real life, was he Seventh Day? I mean, in the the story that the story is based on a true story. <laughs> Okay, in real life, the actor was, or the no, guy that actually said... Dustin Doss. Okay. Okay, got it, got it. I don't know the names. So. Okay. Well, put it this way. If he's not in the inner circle, <laughs> I mean, he certainly did a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it's a very incredible story. Yeah. But that's a Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I forgot about that. Right, right. Who else? Famous people. Too many to. You Googled it. Ben Carson, yeah. Prince. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay. So the uh, this movement really took off after World War II. I'm not exactly uh, sure why. Actually, on that graph that I told you, it, you know, it just kind of crawls along and then, you know. Um, so it, it's rapid, rapid growth. And the denomination still tends to keep to itself among, other, well, among Christian denominations, not other Christian denominations. Um, it has consistently kept... The education of its children under its own auspices. In most cases, the Adventists uh, have been especially well known for their healthcare ministries. Loma Linda, up in north of Riverside, where is that at? Riverside, I think. Loma Linda University, the um, the big training for like most any, most dentists go through that. That's a Seventh Day Adventist school. Um, I've had two Seventh-day Adventist dentists, actually, <laughs> come to think of it. Sadly, one died during uh, COVID, but his staff is still there. And, um, uh, and they're all the lady who cleaned my teeth two weeks ago, Seventh-day Adventist. Says, Do you ever guys ever start meeting in person again? Because six months ago, they were still on video. Do you ever start meeting? Oh, yeah, yeah, a few months ago. <laughs> so, okay, any final questions or thoughts? So if you know somebody that is deceived in this cult, hopefully you have a little bit of ammunition, a little bit that you can come and talk to them about the efficacy of the atonement of Christ, the newness of the new covenant, the, the, the many plethora of examples in the New Testament that reference the first day of the week. You've got some ammo there. You've got some, you get some shots in your gun that you can shoot. And I don't mean that violently, you know. You've got some amp- tools in your toolbox, we'll say, that you can apply and witness to them. Any final thoughts or comments? Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much just uh, even for uh, the things that, that I learned this past week and just how we can respond um, to people that are deceived. And Lord, may you grow Christianity even at a faster pace. We see just seems like the cults seem to grow uh, super rapidly, and especially this particular one. Lord, I, I believe it's said only 1.2 million in the U.S., but 25 million worldwide. And we most of us know somebody, and so uh, loosen our lips. Help us to uh, magnify Christ with our words. Thank you for the series of studies that we've had in this Sunday school class. And we ask your blessing upon next week and Brother Aaron as he uh, prepares for it. In Jesus' name, amen.